coming in July 2014 to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, a new epic mega-series. Trinus Magnus honors Superman, as only His Excellency Magnus can. Twelve episodes, all eras. An encomium of Superman comics, the oldest of the old, the newest of the new. A tasteful selection of everything in between. Plus, guest appearances from too many podcasters to count. The fun starts on July 22nd, 2014. Be there or kill yourself. Trinus Magnus punches reality. Only at twotruefreaks.com. Hey everybody, Magnus here. You know, the entire time I've done this podcast, I've always kind of prided myself on the fact that I record, I shouldn't say everything, but a lot of stuff like really far ahead of time. But I gotta be honest, this episode, this latest entry in the Big Book series is set for release on July the 8th. 2014. To put that in perspective, I recorded it only on June the 28th, which makes this the probably the narrowest gap in time between the the moment that I recorded something versus the time that it was released since probably the first episode. And even there I kind of have an excuse because the fact is, I wasn't originally intending to release my first episode when I released it, but other factors kind of forced my hand on that. But, uh, yes, that's what ended up happening. So, there's really no point to any of this. There's really no ending to that story. I just felt like throwing it out there. And now I have. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. Attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Hello, and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. I'm your host, Magnus, and I've done 50 episodes of this show. You believe that? Putting together last week's 50th episode, Epic Milestone, Retrospective, Spectacular Extravaganza, seriously kicked my ass. So don't expect a lot of production value this time around. But anyway, as always, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. It's... Really, it's not so much an addiction for me as an outlet. I mean, if it wasn't for this, I'd probably have burned something down by now. So, now, usually, my subject is related to superheroes in some way or another. And, honestly, I'm fine with that because I love superheroes. But every seventh episode, I break away from talking about superhero comics to talk about, well, none 
superhero comics. Specifically, I use every seventh episode for what I like to call the Big Book Report. During these shows, I talk about the DC Paradox Press line of big books. Now, for those of you who don't know, the big books were an anthology line of nonfiction original graphic novels published between 1994 and 2000. Now, during the life of this podcast, I've talked about the big book of urban legends, conspiracies, hoaxes, and the 70s. You see, I seriously love nonfiction comics, so that was the main point to talking about the big books during this show. But I'm not the only one with an appreciation for nonfiction comics. Nope. Joining me for this discussion, as always, and for the second week in a row, is Two True Freaks co-host and disgraced former Ford Motor Company engineer, Chris Honeywell. How are you, sir? Good. The less said about Ford, my Ford Motors job, the better. And I'm hoping since your production value below, maybe I'll be like human production value for this. Yeah, show. well, and, that, and that's honestly, I didn't want to bring up too much of a negative point, but you know, I, I thought there there was a chance, at least when I was originally putting this together, that we could end up talking about cars tonight, specifically the Ford Pinto. So um, right. yeah, but I know that you had nothing to do with that, so I'm not nothing. casting aspersions. I'm just saying. So anyway, but since we're on the subject, which big book are we talking about this time? We are talking about the big book of scandals. That's right. Yeah. This was uh, published in 1997 and written by Jonathan Vankin. The big book of scandals shines a spotlight on some of the most disturbing, fraudulent, illegal, actionable, and downright mean shit that's ever happened. Publisher is DC Comics or Paradox Press, the imprint Paradox Press cover date is 1998. The on-sale date is November the 5th, 1997. Cover price is 14.95. Page count is 192. Editor is Andrew Helfer. Cover artist is John C. Sebalaro. Not really sure how to pronounce that. So, as to artists, though, when I checked out the list of artist credits, I recognized the names Charlie Adler, Sergio Aragones, Colleen Doran, Dick Giordano, Paul Gulacy, Joe Orlando, Walt Simonson, Joe Staten, freaking Ty Templeton, and maybe a few others. But Chris, did you did you recognize any of the artists in the uh, cover credits? Uh, one of my, Rick Geary is one of my favorites, and he turns up in all of these. So I'm always looking. Sergio Aragones is also, whenever I see his art, I'm always really happy. Right, me too. No one. Yeah, he kind of has a uh, style that's, you know, sort of his own. And uh, I always miss Charlie. What did Charlie Adler do in this one? Um, hold on, let me flip back to the table of contents here. Uh, I can probably tell you that. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Paul Gulacy, that was an all American junkie. Colleen Dorn was Ingrid, the loves of Ingrid Bergman. This is me vamping for time, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Cyril Burt, the intelligence man, that was Joe Orlando. Um, let's see. Next up, Freakin' Ty Templeton, Drew Woody, and Mia. Oh, and by the way, Rick Geary, The Scandal That Sank a Studio. Let's see. Oh, Charlie Adler. This was the Profomo, or sorry, Profumo Affair. Oh, okay. Page 106. And, um, I think he's popped up in every single one of these mm -hmm. big books that we've, that we've talked about. 
I don't think we've ever gone through one of these that he didn't at least do a page or two for. Yeah, it's so. just always a very different style than his Walking Dead work. So it never jumps out as me as, oh, there's Charlie Adler. Yeah, he's kind of got this uh, sort of, when he wants to, it's a sort of a chameleon style. He's ma- I mean, I think he's probably going to go down in history for The Walking Dead. But he had a run. It wasn't on Detective Comics or Batman. But it might have been Batman Confidential, but um, he was on, he drew Batman comics of some description, or at least a Batman comic. And just think about that for a minute. You know, Charlie Adler, that I always kind of, I'm probably always going to associate now with, you know, horror comics to some degree or another. Charlie Adler drawing Batman. I mean, that's horror. Horror artists are just uh, natural for Batman. You know, like Bernie Wrightson and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's actually a really good point. It's just, I don't know. Just thinking of thinking about the fact that he actually had a career, and apparently a very thriving career, prior to The Walking Dead. That's mm-hmm. I don't know, just kind of an interesting thing to think about. But. Our favorite, or my favorite anyway, Graham Manley. I couldn't even uh, tell you which story uh, that he drew other than it's on page 94. But his biography here says, Graham is believed to be in hiding from the police somewhere in Scotland. He's wanted for crimes against the comic strip form. So every single one of these, he's always got, Graham Manley has always got some <laughs> just bullshit story. It's like he could have been on this podcast because literally nothing is nothing he says is ever right. is ever. Uh, true. So, well, anyway, so but that's a, that's that stuff though. Now, the usual uh, caveats and disclaimers apply. Uh, people, this book is 192 pages long, and there's really no way that Chris and I could have talked about every single thing in here. So, uh, he and I both chose two stories each. And there's, by the way, I'm going to come back to this. Usually, we we choose three. There's a reason he and I only have two yeah. this time around, and uh, I'm going to get into that in just a bit, but. My point is that there's just, as always, there's just too much here to really have to, you know, the, for him to, re, for he and I to go through everything. So, you know, what we're going to do is um, he's going to talk about his two stories, uh, the ones that he chose. We're going to you know, shoot the shit about that. Then after that, it'll be my turn. And, you know, he and I are going to go back and forth about that. But I just want to warn you guys in advance. If you... What, what, usually, I try to stay away from religion and politics when I when I do this show. This is, but this is a book of scandal. <laughs> yeah, and there's it's it's kind of hard to get away from that. Right, and, right. And you have to ask why I, you know a podcaster might want to stay away from religion and politics. If you have to ask why that is, there's probably nothing I can say to help you understand. But yeah, I, I, I'm surprised you have access to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but. Either way you look at it, there's a really good chance Chris and I are going to talk about both of those things before too long. So consider oh, yeah. this your warning, all right? I'm, I'm just telling you in advance. Surely you guys have some idea of where this is coming from when it comes to uh, – or where when, – well, when Chris and I, if you listen to either of our shows, you kind of – you're probably going to figure where he and I are coming from when it comes to politics and religion and all that. I think some of you may know my attitude about those subjects. Um, you probably, you may think that, you know, Chris's uh, actually, uh, we're going to find out about it's that. Possibly, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris sometimes doesn't know. <laughs> right. But either way, you know, if you think that there's a chance that you're going to disagree with one of us or the other, 
this is your warning. You're probably right, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say turn this show off now because I can't guarantee that you're not going to lose your temper before all said and done. So. Oh, I, I would never encourage them to turn. I, I don't mind people losing their temper. That's why what's great about a podcast is they're thousands of miles away. <laughs> well, right. But at the same time, I just I don't run a, a shock show and I don't want yeah. people to think that I do a shock show. And um, so but, you know, all the same. So just, you know, think of this as as, you know, um, uh, as, as your fair warning, all right? If you think that there's a chance that you're going to, you know, get pissed off about this right now, I'm warning you right now so that that way I don't, you know, get a bunch of angry emails and stuff like that coming in later saying that, you know, why can't you stick to the issues? Well, that is sort of the issue in this, in this episode. So um, there you have it. So this is your last warning. After this, whatever <laughs> happens, it's on you. So three, two, one. Okay, now it's your fault. Yep, spoilers. Yeah, so... Anyhow, last time – oh, actually, before we even do the introductions. Now, uh, people, I just want to uh, – before he and I – before Chris and I start talking about all this stuff proper, I don't want to get specific about it at least just yet, but I really didn't enjoy this big book as much as I had previous ones. And I'm not really sure where Chris is coming from on this. Chris, what did you think? I mean did you – Well, I'm kind of glad that you felt that way because I felt the same same way towards – this one so i'm glad it wasn't just me and i have i've actually got a couple theories as to why that is compared to the other ones uh, this one it's it's not as wild and wacky really there's wild and wacky moments in it mm -hmm. and there's some crazy details and stuff to it but for the most part all it, it, it almost every story is going to come down to some sort of human weakness somebody failing for some human weakness whether it be lust or or lust or greed or usually lust or greed in some way or power or something and it's sort of the same story playing over and over again and, you know, the, the other books have featured like UFOs and shadow governments and, you know, or, or even just sometimes just are insane or insanely quirky and stuff. And while this does have insane and insanely quirky pe people, they're more in the mainstream. They're, they're, they're all from the mainstream public consciousness, really, because. That's why they're scandalous, you know. That's why their foibles were were such a big deal. And I think the other reason is a good chunk of this we've lived through. <laughs> and not and and especially people our age, I mean, who've had television from beginning to end and meet you know, uh, just an increasing amount of media as time go goes on. I wasn't getting it wasn't as much as getting the story because man well, I got the story every day you know on a cycle on the news so it's it's the the um what becomes entertaining about the comics is the way they tell the story how it's illustrated and that's where they can put some humor into it and stuff but the other ones have a little added benefit of where you're picking up a lot of stuff that you didn't really 
weren't weren't aware about or didn't know certain details of or you know there's always some conspiracy theory that you didn't happen to hear and this stuff is just way familiar you know and and there's some that span back you know there's fatty arbuckles in here mm-hmm. but the fatty arbuckles one that i'm really familiar with because i had to um edit a movie collage for someone who was doing a stage play about fatty arbuckle so I had to watch a million Fatty Arbuckle movies. Jeez. And, uh, and um, you know, like um, Ted Kennedy and Chappaquiddick and stuff like that. I dimly remember hearing about that as a little, little kid. But, you know, but for the most part, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the big ones in, in here. You know, the right. Michael Jacksons and stuff like that. Michael Jackson, the Michael Jackson story is about the most colorful story in here, but it's also one that everybody's familiar with, up and down, you know? All well, right, and, and even if they're not, I think a lot of people, by, like especially these days, are kind of familiar with the concept of a celebrity meltdown mm-hmm. or a celebrity scandal or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, whole TV shows are built around it, you know? Yeah. So. And it's, it's also kind of a weird thing. I don't want to get too far off subject here but it's also you know like people tend to forget you know like he spent the latter couple decades of his life as sort of a joke slash cautionary tale and it's easy to forget like in his heyday how fucking famous this guy really was how popular he really was and well regarded and you know the whole child molestation thing i mean the wacko jacko era had kind of started before then but that didn't soften the punch at all whenever it came out, oh, hey, the guy molests children. And it was uh, – I, I just – I at least never saw that one coming, you know. So – but as I say, you know, it's – that being the, the most colorful thing in here, it I, I think it's one of those stories that, you know, just a, as far as history is concerned, you kind of had to be there. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, and I think that's actually going to be very much the case as we go go through a lot of these things. Some of them are a little too timely really for and i think actually you know what fatty arbuckle is a is a good example of that i mean i've heard of fatty arbuckle and i you know thanks to this story i now know a little bit more about you know what went on with all that but at the end of the day i just i don't give a shit you know right right and anyway so anyway but i guess just to kind of you know just to get down to business um last time i went first so this time uh that means that uh, chris gets to uh, get us started. So uh, what have you got for us this time, man? Well, right off the bat, I am going to cheat, and I'm going to mush two together. Oh, okay. And it's and, and just luckily they they're they put the two stories concurrently in the in the comic, so that that was really and that's Jimmy Swagger goes to hell and the ballad of Jim and Tammy. Oh my god, what a great time period this was for me. <laughs> and uh um We'll get to we'll get to the, the, the there's going to be par- there's sort of parallels in my choices and your choices because mm-hmm. this was when when I was young I grew up I remember um I I, I never went to church I went I went to church as a kid but it was like if I stayed at a friend's house so sometimes I'd be in a Catholic church if I was with the Redfields and if I was with Scott Gardner it was Assembly of God. And uh, so it was very, very different. But the only real like religious stuff that I got to see was basically, you know, Sunday morning preachers. 
which and my dad was a connoisseur of um, Ernest Angley. Have you ever seen Ernest Angley? He was a healer. Uh, no, no, I have not. Healer guy, and he oh, was Lord. a little round, um, sort of Oral Roberts looking guy, and he had a very very, you know, southern way of talking, and he'd heal people, and... Uh, oh, that kind of Tennessee thing? Yeah. kind of Tennessee voice? And he did this great thing where he would pull the evil spirits out of your ears and heal the deaf, and then he would go up to their ear and go, say, baby, and they'd go, baby, and he'd say, say, baby, baby, and you're healed, and the crowd would go wild, and my father, and he would whack people in the head, too. Whack him in the head, heel, boom, on the ground. He was like, you know, Benny Hinn built on that. You know, Benny Hinn was, would take down, you know, waves of people, you know, in in, in the ever-increasing one-upmanship, you know, decades down the line. But, you know, Jimmy Swagger was one that you'd see on TV all the time. Jim and Tammy all the time and swagger didn't really catch my attention as much till he got in trouble and it's this they only gave him one page but jimmy swaggart's story is even you know more complex i mean i believe he's related to um um jerry lee lewis i believe it's swagger who's related to jerry lee lewis really i didn't know that and and um there's a there, there's somebody else who's who I it may even be uh, Larry Flint in some in some manners. Wow, what a, how ironic is that? I could be completely wrong, and I'm sure somebody will write in and correct me if I am. But there, I think there's I think it's Jimmy Swagger. But Jimmy Swagger was famous for, um, you know, not really engaging with the prostitute he would engage watch them and stuff but and that's that's sort of what this story is about but he was doing he was also i think that's where the term just the tip <laughs> came into like public parlance you know you know when that showed up on the news where he would just where you know the prostitute with her face blacked out or you know in the shadows going and then he just he just said i just want to put in the tip (laughs) and um oh wow as a kid i was always i mean i mean maybe a lot of it had to do because i would see my father obviously he would just be like rolling in laughter at ernest angley but there was you know I never was had any kind of scorn for religion i was always curious about it as a kid but the TV preachers always just, you know, it just seemed that they were just obviously full of shit, you know, obvious hucksters. You know, they were almost com- no different than the people you would see in the late night infomercial ads or something like or hawking something. You know, they had the same hair and the same sort of, you know, really uh, um, just fake mannerisms and everything you know and over the top everything mm-hmm. and it always bothered me so when the whole fall of it happened and especially Jim and Tammy were uh I mean watching Jim and Tammy come up in the the PTL club and stuff 
And I was also, and still I'm a proud owner of a lot of their early record albums when they were a puppet show. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And, you know, yeah, with with them acting out puppet shows and singing songs and Tammy talking in her little girl. I mean, she had that just bizarre little girl baby talk demeanor. Oh, and yeah. She has the creepiest hair. fucking voice, dude. The creepiest voice. She, they, 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 like, before their downfall... With the, the you know when we would be sitting around on the couch mocking Jim and Tammy, mm-hmm. Tammy bore the brunt of it, of just like oh my God look at that makeup and she cried all the time, and uh, and we'd be like oh my God she's it's so insanely fake, and Jim we'd be just like he's just the bland he's like the the Mister Rogers of. The TV preachers. He was very mellow, but they were still, you know, grubbing money. Yeah, he, he wasn't. Yeah, that, 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 look, that whole Mister Rogers thing is completely superficial. Was that? Oh not, yeah, that guy well, was. Off, out, off he camera. was a complete pervert, you know, and bisexual, and just doing all this stuff behind the scenes, and of course, making himself in, insanely rich, and and you know, building just huge, basically monuments to himself. Right. And. Uh, so when the whole thing came down, it and that was also the time that I was just beginning to get into Frank Zappa. And Frank Zappa launched a tour that was just basically, basically the tour was, it was around an election year, so he was actually registering people to vote at the concert. And just had this whole elaborately written Beatles medley of songs and selected um, cover songs that he uh, didn't alter, like Whipping Post, and just basically just enacted. And he'd also written some songs for albums, but he just prepared a whole little spectacle in the middle of his concert that was just a victory lap of the downfall of Jim and Tammy and, and, and swagger. And I'm not one of those people, you know, and you'll see this on Facebook and, and I'm also not one of the people to really get down on people for doing it, but I don't like to, you know, even if it's somebody I didn't like in the public eye, when they die, I don't like to go like, ha ha, you know, good riddance. Or, you know, when, when their lives crash around them, I, d- I don't like to gloat in it. But these guys, I just, I think they deserve, you know, they've just set themselves up for it almost purposely and meticulously. And it was, the, the, the whole Zappa set, you know, they did a whole um, um, strawberry fields forever but it was you know let me take you down to texas motel don't mind the smell and (laughs) and And, uh with sound effects and and stuff like that but as the years went by and this is so stupid i can't what was it the surreal life that that stupid um reality show one of the early reality shows had tammy faye baker on it and I swear, by the end of that show, I was like, I really had a lot of empathy for her and was like, you know what? I think she's a very genuine person. And you could see her winning over everybody there because she and, – and, and I was realizing that little girl baby talk 
persona wasn't a persona. It was her real, that was her. <laughs> right. And, uh, just, just bizarre that I, and I've never ever felt <laughs> empathy for Jim or swagger. They're just, and well, there, there is actually an element of the uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Swaggart story that I'm surprised didn't make it into this because I think this would have been pub, uh, this would have been a, that this had happened by the time, you know, this book was published, but he had the famous, you know, incident with the, um, hooker and everything. And he publicly apologized and all that. And, uh, so, and it, and it he really did give the impression that you know there was real contrition going on with all this, and you know he really meant it and everything. But it's and, part of the Hakuna Matata, the cycle of circle of life of the whole drama of all these. Things. Well, yeah, but but here's the thing, and I could be wrong, but I swear to think I read somewhere that not a decade later or just a couple years later, I mean like within a year tops later, he was caught same exact situation and then this time he said hey it's none of your business Mm -hmm. you know and i'm surprised that that didn't actually you know make it into the book but but you know like all around it's kind of funny because you and i are coming at this literally from completely different angles i grew up after the televangelist era so i can't really comment on that from firsthand experience but it looks to me like american christians have kind of learned their lesson about celebrity pastors and they did that the hard way back in the 80s i mean <clears throat> yeah you still get mega churches know, though what do you think of those well and that's actually the thing I, that's actually the very next thing i was going to bring up you know you get things like joel osteen yeah or rob bell or td jakes or people like that but for the most part you know those are people who run churches that have a sort of nationwide audience but i don't think that they're quite on the level of being media superstars the same way that uh, no, the Bakers I, were or that Jimmy Sway. I just I think they don't... learn their lesson and don't go on TV. <laughs> do it, well, do it the right, other... that right in person. It's way more direct right. and, and to the point. The other thing, though, is that I think that, you know, <clears throat> as far as what you might call traditional Christianity – Basically, that's what Jimmy Swaggart and uh, Jim and Tammy Baker, mm-hmm. to my understanding at least, that's mostly what they were talking about. The sort of megastars that we have today, they're a little bit different in the angle that what they're talking – and, and look, I don't want to turn this into a religious pissing contest other than to say it's not exactly the same thing. It's a, it's Christianity. It's like Diet Coke of Christianity. Yeah. You know? And it's not quite the the same thing. Now, keep in mind, I was raised um, uh, Church of Christ, and these days I'm pretty much Catholic. So I'm coming at this not just from the angle that I grew up after all these things happened, but also coming at it from a religious angle myself. So literally, Chris, and I, you and I are total opposites on this, but it's kind of funny that you and I can still <laughs> look at this and think, you know what? You fucked up. Now, Oh, I mean – it's just yeah it's there's there, i mean there's just as as a human you can feel human empath, empathy for people like this but basically i don't as much a lot of times because i think somebody uh, a, a jimmy swaggart's a sociopath he's a sociopath that a lot of them i think they just they just latch they latch on to religion because a if you present yourself as someone who's representing that 
it's a it's a good smoke screen to to cover up what you know the, the stuff you really want to do or that you're really doing and it's a it's a good way to get money and adoration and attention mm-hmm. and and all that and you know so you have i mean they all use the basic of basics of christian religion but they know that if you're just giving a cerebral <clears throat> sort of approach to religion well you know i mean uh, that's that's actually a really bad wording of it but if you're if if you're going for what J- joe average person who's going to their normal church in any town usa is going to that's not going to play on tv that well because it's not it's 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 they they focus in on hot button issues they do basically what the news does or whatever they take whatever's going on at the time and get people worked up about it whether it's whether it's worked up in and like we have an uplifting story about this that has happened in a hospital or we have this terrible story about how satan is rampaging through your children through star wars or whatever or you know whatever it is their way to heaven yeah or whatever it is that happens to be really popular at the time you know that that it's that's a good thing to glom onto because everybody's talking about it too so if you're against it even if you're being kind of ridiculous and being against it people are going to talk about oh look at these guys are you know they think dungeons and dragons is going to make you possessed by demons and and stuff like that and just like the internet you know and the same sort of thing attention equals money and uh so they would would rake it in and you know i mean if you're if you're you don't even have to be a sociopath but you'd have to be some kind of crazy uh person who doesn't really regard other people very well to be to be like this you know i could i can sort of understand being cracked enough to be like hey i have a friend of mine who i know could be a, a preacher and it, we were discussing how easy it would be you know the narrative to, uh, uh, to him in, entering into a mega church you know from i used to do this and all these hor- sex and drugs and rock and roll and blah 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 and then the change around and and all that you know so and and like having an exciting life where you play this part and become you know wealthy beyond belief and have millions of people who support you and you know i mean you you get wrapped up enough in that and you start believing your own bullshit and uh so and in the true american form everybody loves to see and that's also a classic theme that runs through all the scandal thing it's the, the the american way to build up our celebrities and then tear them down we love to see them hit the heights and then michael jackson's a prime example you know once they get once they hit that like elvis uh, you know you hit that peak and then after that everybody starts getting sick of you and starts wanting to see you take getting taken down a peg but with these guys i can feel better about it you know like elvis and stuff it's just tragic you know it's just sad 
but well what i'd add is that look a, a little bit of what i said about jimmy swaggart a minute ago you it, i could kind of repeat it here but what i i guess what i'd add is that when you reach and I, i'm not talking about you know just kind of national prominence but i'm talking now like real fame because of your morals and your virtue and your religion to me it almost seems like dude you are tempting fate and yes. when you add in, you know, millions and millions of dollars on top of that, I think that's and, part of it. The appeal to them, yeah. And I look, I think it's truly the it's the it, it's the one in a million person who wouldn't give in to all of the temptations that money has to offer. Because I don't care how religious somebody is, one of the core bedrock principles of a lot of religion—I don't know every religion, but certainly a lot of religions, including Christianity—is that fundamentally there's really no difference between you and a non-believer, at least as far as what you're susceptible to, and you know, um, you know, the weaknesses and temptations that we all right. have. And the difference is, is that in their case, I think one of the reasons why it sings so much sweeter when you know one of the uh, holy rollers takes a dive is because there is a I don't want to say that they were even necessarily intentional about it, but there is a sense in which they were kind of putting their virtue online, you know, out there on the line and right. basically saying, hey, I'm better than you. Even if that's not really what they were saying, that is what some people are taking from it. And so whenever you find out Jimmy Swaggart is kind of but not really shagging ass with hookers or Jim and Tammy Faye Baker are ripping off uh, – ripping off their uh, their followers for just millions upon millions of dollars you know it's it's just that i don't know this sort of uh social comeuppance or personal comeuppance that you want to see people like that who i don't know somehow thought they were better than anybody else like you were like chris was saying a minute ago right yeah and you know and like i said i mean to some degree or another everybody is a hypocrite but for some reason it just it sticks that much more when it's somebody who truly does believe that they're better than anybody else you know and i don't know i mean it's just like on the one hand i really do feel bad you know for them but on the other hand you know especially when it comes to you know uh, the bakers i mean look I, jimmy swagger he was just a guy honestly the way i see it should he have been in that hotel room with with, with a hooker well, strictly speaking, no, considering what his line of work is. But you know what? I can chalk that up to being an honest mistake. But the bakers, I mean, dude, they were fleecing people left, right, yeah. and center. And this isn't something that, you know, they had one bad night. It was one moment of weakness. No, they built this, a whole machine. <laughs> right. And it's it's it, it, for me, at least, it's harder for me to have – you know, empathy for them because at every step of the way, this is a, a decision that they had to wake up every morning and make that decision again that day for how many years, like 10, 15, 20 years, something like that. Yeah. I think, well, you see, I think, I think Jim was delusional enough to convince himself. And I think Tammy was dumb enough and just dumb and, and willfully naive enough to just go along with it. But then again, you know, I mean, I think pretty much her her pattern, like when she cheated on Jim and then when she got remarried, have both been to like multimillionaires, too. So right. there you go. Yeah. You know, and I, it's just it's just sweeter. You know, it's the same thing with with like I don't 
you know, when when you get the whole uh, today, you get the, all the scandals of they're out, out people get getting outed as being gay and stuff. And I always I'm not a big fan of that. It's, a, you know, if whatever people are doing, they can do in their life, but leave them alone, you know. But when you have somebody who's like super actively like campaign campaigning against gay people or something and then they get outed. Ah, I don't feel as <laughs> bad for him because it's just like, hey, you know, you kind of set yourself up for that, you know, kind of you kind of you kind of, you know, I don't know if there's like some psychological part of them. I don't want to be a profiler or whatever that the, the, they do it on purpose so they could actually get caught or whatever, just like s- serial killers will or whatever. But uh uh, you know, same with Jim and Tammy Baker. You know, it's almost like they were compulsive about just we just have to keep doing it and keep making it bigger and bigger. And, you know, where's it going to go? Are they eventually going to end up, you know, trillionaires or something? No, eventually somebody's going to catch on. Somebody, they're going to make somebody mad. Somebody's going to realize that they can profit by throwing them under the bus or whatever, you know. And that's the thing. A lot of these big dynasties that these these TV preachers would start would get would basically have hostile takeovers. They would get disgraced and kicked out, and somebody else would take over. And you know, you're taking over a multi-billion-dollar business. That's where Jerry Falwell came from. Yeah, Yeah. and Hmm. and and you're taking over, you know, this huge business, and then all of a sudden you're making you're making that money. So, hey, you know. I mean, there's there's something about charismatics. Americans love charismatics. I honestly and look and and like I said, guys, I mean, I'm coming at this from somebody who was raised Church of Christ and is now mostly Catholic. I really don't understand the whole charismatic thing. (laughs) Never have. I never will. Oh, I don't even mean charismatics as in like the religious. uh, I I probably should. I just mean like charismatic people, you know, people who will sell you a vacuum cleaner. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah, somebody, somebody with a. We love people who are confident, with slick tongues, who are. I think we even love that they're full of shit, but they're gonna stand there <laughs> and bare face. You know, I like that guy. He's full of shit, but he's got the balls to stand there and look you in the eye while you know. He, he has, you know, I admire his conviction. He can look me in the eye and tell me a lie. Yeah. That's a guy I want to invest in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's mentally healthy, but I think there's a lot of that going on, you know, with that. You know, they, you know what? They, they should call that the bullshit gene. Yeah. You know, uh, the people who can really do, and you've got to figure a lot of politicians would, you know, probably score off the, off the scales here, but, you know, just that ability. And you're right. It, it does seem like it's almost genetic, just this ability to sling absolute horseshit but sell it in the such a convincing and um and now i understand what like you meant method by acting, it. you're kind of charismatic type of way oh yeah it's it's like method acting you believe you, you you make yourself believe it and then you you, you sell it to to somebody else and right. you know i imagine a lot of these guys uh, like you know jim and tammy when they were trying to go to sleep at night would say, or, you know, or or any of them would say to themselves, you know, if it's, it's, at some level, if they believe, if they really, if they like truly, truly, truly believed it, 
then they must have been then that must have been torturous because they knew they were fleecing people and completely not they were actually being dis, you know destructive towards religion and the perception of religion and but if they you know didn't believe it then they could say just like some of the people that I I I used to work down the street from a psychic place and they used to come in to eat lunch and you know I had a couple people who would just say look I don't believe any of this shit you know but you know it really it really helps people there's people who really need it and that works for them and so it's like counseling and stuff like that and it's just like but you're not a counselor <laughs> right you don't know if you're you could be making some really horrible decisions trying to help somebody you could you know you don't know if you're telling them the right thing or something you by just making them feel good after their and what it really was was getting them to come back but you know they were saying hey I'm I'm doing I'm doing society a favor and profiting in the in the uh hey, in, if in, I happen to profit from it hey you know that's the American that's a way. Trade-off. Right? I got to eat too. They're getting something from it. <laughs> well, you got anything else on this? No, I was going to say it's it's about time to move on. <laughs> I right, think. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. Not not a problem. What is the uh, the next one you have on the docket here? My next one's the actually the last story before the afterwards. It's the cyber porn scare. Mm-hmm. And I just picked this one because I remember when it happened. Um, and, you know, just the crazy reaction. And what what really tickles me and fascinates me about it is, all right, what was this book? 98 it came out in, 97, 98. Mm-hmm. So here we are, you know, what, 10, six, 16 years later. Yep. You know, a, a decade and a half later. Um, and it's still not going on. I thought cyber porn, the cyber porn scare would be like the war on drugs. It was just never going to go away. You were always going to have people. And to an extent, there's still people, I'm sure, railing against it. But it's, a, and it's amazing how quickly it's been uh, unprecedented, how quickly... It, like hardcore porn is now just integrated into human daily life. And um, I'm really curious. I, I, I'm wondering what effect it's going to have on human sexual relations in the future. Because getting the, the, the kind of porn that you can see on the internet at the touch of a finger was the kind of stuff so that speak. you had to be Batman as a kid to get your hands on. You know, you had to have the right kind of uncle, brother, father that would have something something a little rougher than Playboy or Hustler or something, you know, would have some some European, you know, magazines that showed penetration and stuff. And even then, yeah, it's it's still even gonna then, be a, a totally different is, world. That stuff is tame compared to you know, and I, I mean so I mean as a kid when we were kids we had to work for our porn. But, you, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, regular naked Playboy penthouse when I first got my hands on those at a young age were bizarre enough trying to wrap my mind around, you know, what you're seeing in that. Or, you know, you get you stay over to friends and get to see some late night um, Skinamax and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like, whoa, it was pretty intense. <laughs> Nowadays, it's, it's, you know, it's full out, basically, you, you name it, whatever you can think of. You just have to do a little, you know, a, a search of it. And and it's not even that hard to find. You know, right. Let's be, no, let's it's, be it's, real. It's, it's very it's, easy. I mean, it used to be it used to be something as an adult. Adults would have to go to bookstores or whatever or to a movie theater or what or or whatnot. And, you know, now it's just delivered to your laptop, to your phone or to what, you know, whatever you just happen to be. And it's force. It, I think it's forcing weird it's just forced weird dialogues and stuff to where almost everybody male or female has pretty much got to admit at some point they've seen some you know something pornographic online whereas you know back in the 80s you could you you could have girls in high school be like i've never seen something like that you know and and it, and it would be viable it's quite possible that they never had and nowadays it's just like if they haven't, then they don't have, you know, then at a young age, they were lacking in some normal human impulses to check out everything that you possibly can check out, you know, from, you know, six to your, till basically when you move out. <laughs> right. So. Well, and this is one of those uh, stories that honestly, I guess, to, well, to start with it, it's got. You knew this was the '90s because, on the very first pa- the very first panel, in fact, of this story, what it says is, in the mid '90s, the internet, and then it pauses to define <laughs> what the internet is. And I'm sorry, I have I, I don't think there's been a book published since the '90s that has ever bothered to define what the internet is. But it's, it's just it's kind of funny that it bothered you know that they. Just put the th- everything on pause for just a second to explain. Well, it's like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They just have to be like have that omniscient sort of point of view. Right. But I, the wonder, thing that, I wonder. I wonder if he was being tongue if he was being tongue in cheek writing that he was being really dry. Okay, it could be. I I took it actually at face value. I assume yeah. that this is actually. But the the thing about this is that you know as you and I have gone through these. Uh, these big books, we occasionally come across stories that I think history has kind of vindicated, like the electronic cigarette and um, the uh, the big book of losers. That's one of those things that I think history ultimately got the last laugh, you know, because that is a totally viable way now of smoking. And I think the same thing is kind of true of this. Um, at least what I took from this is that the the whole thing was bullshit. You know, there was never anything to this whole cyber porn scare nonsense. You know, it was, the whole thing was just invented. It was mostly, you know, led by politicians that just wanted to make a name for themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And again, this is one of those th- – and maybe I'm wrong, but that's just what I took from the story. And I I don't think it takes – Chris and I just spent – what he, like what was it, like five or ten minutes or something like that explaining all the different ways that now not just not just like soft – kind of playboy type stuff but i mean like really hardcore freaky fucking porn is now part of the just the day-to-day life for a lot of people if only in the aspect of knowing that it's out there and knowing how to access it easily you know that alone is a pretty fucking huge step in in terms of media consumption and my point here in all of this is to say that i think the story kind of 
poo-poos the idea that you know there's anything to this. Honestly, I think now the the verdict is in. We know, you know, the jury has reported. We know for a fact that this story, if anything, underplayed this Time Magazine story that started all this unintentionally may have underplayed, you know, just how pervasive that that kind of thing really is. And there's really nothing about this that's bullshit. Well, I mean, but the the, the thing is, oh, well, at, at, at where we're standing now compared to this time. You know, I mean, this uh, in the in the early 90s, mid 90s, you know, cyber porn also took a lot. It, it, th those weren't the days of streaming video and stuff oh. like that. It was like news group pictures and stuff like that. And, you know, a hard drive full of photographs and stuff like that. And now today it's way more yeah pervasive than they thought it was going to be. But I don't know if the you know i don't know if it's set off a, a wave of bad effects i don't know i i i i've yet to see what what i and and i don't know how long it would take to show up if you know it's going to put thing you know things on the way to hell in a handbasket we, well, we, we have the world kind hasn't of seemed to explode since uh, you know the kids aren't getting swept up out of their homes by child molesters and stuff like that if anything what are you talking about dude yeah okay well that's well they're, they're attempting to the, the but you know at this point the, at this point the internet has become i think the greatest the greatest tool to because basically i i think it, you, from what i know about child molesters is or you know, or you know, people who abuse children or do stuff like that is—it's a pretty grim prognosis for them. They don't seem to be reform reformed very easily, or or at all. You know, they they often you know, if you let them out, even if you're watching them, they'll still they'll still go after them again, and the internet and they're compulsive about it. You know, that's that to catch a predator show would show that they, even after that show is on the air. And talking about how basically almost everybody that you're talking, if you're going looking for kitty porn or something. Now, I don't know. Also know if that's a perception they just want to have out there, but they've done a pretty good job of like, if you're going after child porn, you know, nine times out of 10, you're probably going to a website hosted by federal agents who are just like Bing and then they'll hold, and then they'll watch you, note you, and wait till you try to like lure a child up, and then and then they can put you away. So oh, really, I, I oh yeah, I I, I thought I, oh wow, I didn't know that. I thought that just like looking at that stuff was a crime. I oh yeah, it is, it is. But I mean, not in oh, the, but they, well, in the okay, pursuit I, of in the pursuit of law enforcement. No, there's 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 I've seen. Um, documentaries on you know the guys who do that sort of stuff who are just who've been traumatized basically they're just like you know we've seen stuff that that they put up to the and it's you know sort of i mean i'm sure they have to play the the game of entrapment and non-entrapment and wait for people to do things but once you set up one of these sites 
you, and you know who the people are coming there, then you know who you can keep an eye on. And I mean, so many people are busted online and and they know that they're going into these chat rooms and that they're very, very likely to be talking to an undercover cop. And even even like anonymous is big with busting up child pornography rings. And uh, the, the I mean, the Internet starts out as the greatest boon for them because, hey, and in the early days there and there's still dark net type stuff. But now to this point, it's like everybody who knows even the dark net stuff, that's like the anonymous territory. It's like prison. Nobody anywhere, anywhere in the world. Nobody likes child molesters. Nobody except other child molesters will. They'll, you know, they'll make their NAMBLA clubs and stuff like that. Nobody likes them. So I, I look at it as just like and they're compulsive about it. So if you set up a little glue trap on the Internet. They're just gonna walk into it, and you can just plink, 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 plink. You know, that's a. I guess, and look, I understand. I mean, I'm not a criminal investigator, so stuff like that. But it, you know, it's just I can honestly say, you know what, that would never have occurred to me. I mean, the most I might have ever thought of would would be to put, um, you know, like confiscated, you know, kitty porn evidence just online, and anybody who looks at it, you know, now they're on the profile. And if they come back too many times, fucking raid their house. That's the best idea I would, but using that to actually catch molesters, wow, that, or would be molesters, that, it's, I don't it's, know, it's, I, I believe it, I just, I didn't know anything about that, that's actually really interesting. Um, It's, yeah, it's probably like drawing moths into the flames, and I mean, there's a lot of perception these days that, ah, your kids are in more danger these days, but. Yeah, well, from predators, gone, yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about a lot about of like that's just... going down, you know, and and a lot of it has to do with these days. Um, I mean, in Hustler magazine, used to have a monthly in the '70s, used to have a cartoon every month, Chester the Molester, and it was this big fat guy trying to lure kids into the bushes, and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, there was a there was a jokiness to it, and it's not. There's not a jokiness to it today, and also there's so much awareness of it that people are, people are way up more on the ball of looking out for kids, you know, or looking out for somebody who's being sketchy these days. So I think these days it's a pretty dark time to be a child molester. Fortunately. <laughs> well, right, that. But I'm if if what we're talking about though is the uh, ramifications of the internet and specifically porn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's got actually other things like uh, we all we're all aware of the uh, tendency a lot of kids these days have, you know, for sexting and naked selfies. And everybody remembers the cam whore websites from the early to early to mid 2000s. And it, it's not like they've really gone away. Yeah. It's just, and I, I, and just I'm as- old grandpa now where I'm just like, I cannot imagine sexting, <laughs> you know, in high school. Yeah, I mean. I would have been all for getting sexts in high school, but I just don't see, and I'm sure it would have happened because, I mean, there were a good amount of kids sexually active in our school, but it's it, there's a casualness to it these days. It, it's, uh, to, on some level, you know, some part of me is just like, oh, the, the Puritan level, you know, American part's like, wow, the kids, the second... Another part of me is like, well, good, they're they're you know comfortable with their sexuality, or whatever. But 
you know, high school sexting, I don't look at that as them being comfortable with their sexuality. I look at it as being dumb teenagers not thinking about they're learning you you it's it's there's a lot more opportunities these days to learn harsh lessons you know really harsh lessons when you're when you're a teenager well i think about it i the way i think about it is this is that in you know maybe 20 30 years you know when you and i are basically getting ready for the retirement home there's going to be somebody who's running for president or maybe isn't running for president as the case may be but if he's running for president or she's running for president, they may have their campaign derailed because somebody found uh, – dug up all of their old naked selfies that they sent to you know high school girlfriends and boyfriends or maybe both. Who the fuck knows? And But in 20 years, who it might be like, who cares, man? Everybody's got naked selfies out there. Right, I know, and uh, yeah, and I'm actually kind of, but I'm just saying that if something like that comes up now, like mm. not quite the same thing, but sort of, I mean that that think about how liberal a state uh, New York is, and that was still enough to derail Anthony Weiner's campaign, you know? Well, and yeah, Anthony Weiner's another one who goes back to our our last conversation of like that guy could have got I, I had empathy for him at first because i liked i liked him i thought he was a uh, like he seemed to be uh, i didn't agree with him all the time but he seemed to be speaking his mind or whatever but after a while i was just like dude you're you, you're being if you're that fundamentally stupid to be acting like that as a public figure and knowing that that will destroy your career and and yet you're doing stupid shit like that you know how can you trust someone's judgment, you know? I mean, you want to separate. I, I like to separate somebody's morality from what their job is or what art they do or whatever. And, you know, you can judge them on their morality. I judge their, you know, if they do their job good, then that's okay. They get A plus for job, you know, F as a human being because they did this horrible thing. But when you just push it you know when you just push it and you just are willfully stupid about it and he could have maybe saved himself by being just like hey so what you know it's my business you know it's between me and my wife and he sort of did that too but then he just kept doing it and he was lying and cover you know trying to play games with it and it was it just, well, he even denied it at first, and that was the yeah, that, right, that, exactly. And and if he owned it right from the beginning, he might have been just like, "Hey, everybody does weird things like that. Worry about my job, you know." I mean, people love that Rob Ford in Canada. The, there's people who just love Rob Ford, and he's smoking crack and drunk out of his mind ninety percent of the time, and they just like him because. He says things, he blurts things out, and they're just like, that's a normal guy. He's got foibles and stuff because it's, you know, it, everybody's so sick of, every, you know, every politician has to completely pasteurize, every, go over everything they say, make sure that they're, you know, line up to this and that, that they're just, that... You know, they'll accept the biggest goofball in the world if they have even the hint of authenticity. But I think I think Wiener had that he had that 
going for him at first, and then he just blew it yeah. horribly. But then again, you know, when you're one of those guys also, you can have a second life as a media personality, just like um, the other, the other, oh, I can't remember, the other Democrat Oliver guy. North. No, no, well, he's, uh, he's. Yeah, well, well that's, that's not really guy. political come to think of it but same yeah yeah yeah. The other guy who was he was a, he was a democrat and he got felled by um he was seeing a hooker. Marion Barry? No, um more more recent. It was right around the time of Anthony Weiner and now he's just a talking head on all the new he shows. Oh, um not Cuomo. Um he was another he, New Yorker, I think. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, and I, I keep wanting to say Baker, but I know that's not true. That it's, it's not. I can uh, see. Pataki. Was it Pataki? No. Okay. <laughs> it's um. I, guess. I can picture him. I can picture him in my head. Well, I'm, I'm picturing. A, he was sort of this Mike Tyson-looking guy, not quite, but this sort of. Is that who you're talking about? No, this like, guy looks like a lawyer. He's got black hair. Sort of uh, greased back a little bit. Looks like maybe an Italian lawyer. Um, a little bit. Why can't I remember his name? Spitzer, Elliot Spitzer. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Spitzer and Wiener. <laughs> Great. Yeah, those Sounds names. Like a comic I tell you. Team yeah. From the from, yeah, from the vaudeville days. Well, you pretty much tapped out on that, or, or yeah, you got, yeah. Okay. Well, just uh, every time we do one of these episodes, it, uh, you know, when I listen back to them, it's like, ooh, did I cut them off there? But anyway, I just I want to make sure you have plenty of time to say everything. Yeah, everything. no, I'll just keep saying things too. So yeah, don't worry about me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, well, from from my side of it, I'm I'm also gonna cheat, uh, just like uh, Chris did. Exactly. I'm gonna basically have two that. They honestly, you don't need much imagination to put these uh, to put these two together. Um, basically, this is uh, the first one is of three, I guess. It's uh, OJ's final run and Cirque de OJ, starting on page eighty-eight, and pretty much everything about this case is the stuff of legend. You know, from the day Nicole Brown's body was discovered and. Well, pretty much until her murderer was acquitted of all charges. This is one of the most explosive moments of the 1990s, at least in, in my opinion. Now, next to Rodney King, basically. Yeah, I think this is definitely kind of a sequel to Rodney King for reasons maybe obvious and not so obvious. But a lot of people think that. O.J. Simpson being acquitted in spite of the fact that, you know what, guys, let's cut the bullshit. He did it. That's basic. (laughs) And we're going to come. There's a, you know, uh, there was a. You're a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a new development in the case just a couple of years ago. We'll come back to that in just a minute, though. Yeah, there was Um, almost no other explanation for what happened with all the. I mean, it was just obviously one of those court things where you know the letter of the law worked in his advantage well sort of and weird and the just the sheer publicness of it right 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 but where i was going with this uh, a minute ago was that you know oj simpson being acquitted in spite of the fact let's cut the shit the guy did it you know this is and a lot of people see see this as basically white america saying to black america okay we're even now. 
so shut the fuck up, you know? Now, don't get me wrong. Racial issues plague us to this very day, and if you need me to tell you that, dude, you have not been watching the news. But Not paying attention, yeah. A lot of this is because of, you know, a lot of ass-white bottom feeders like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and people like that making their living, stirring up racial problems everywhere they everywhere they go. But what you'll notice is that the race bait lobby has really lost a lot of their mojo since O.J. Simpson was found not guilty. The other thing, though, is that for such a high-profile case, it's – Chris, back me up here, all right? It's strange to think that it was so fucking famously mismanaged. I mean you had Judge Ito uh, basically turning the uh, – turning out to be a, a, a total TV whore. Yeah. And the prosecution, they came off like undergrad noobs in several parts of the trial. I mean looking back at it. You kind of have to wonder, did O.J. Simpson even really need all of those high-power attorneys that he hired? I mean – No, just... and, and it's it's really funny because my first instinct is to just completely disagree with you over the whole like perception of like, OK, the O.J. Simpson trial was a way of saying this is even – because I think of that as like this is just a simple – when it comes down to it, it's just a simple murder trial – where someone and everyday murder trials do go wrong and sometimes the murderer walks. But then when I think about it for a second, it's one of those things that plays out. It's this shared, you know, Jungian collective unconscious thing where, yeah, there's under, especially with the media plugging it and plugging it and people analyzing it from every angle, it becomes, you know, this way for people it becomes something in the in the at the water cooler or wherever to talk about racial issues oh yeah to, you know there was a lot of like you know i mean it's i mean if you're if you were too young to remember when the when the when he was found not guilty and there was a lot of play on like oh look black people are celebrating because oj's you know, it was just the reaction of it was that stupid reaction that comes from the masses. And it's always my theory that humans are incredibly smart as individuals and in small groups. But when you start taking masses of humans, the reaction that they have is just primordial. You know, it's like a, it's like baby id reaction. So, you know, the wor uh, often the first reactions are the worst edges of either side of the, the, the racial end of it and everything. It's, it's usually not a well-measured, well-thought-out <laughs> thing. And then it plays out for a long time and, and subtleties arise or whatever. And I mean, ideally, it works itself out and everybody's smarter and more understanding. But... You know, that's in some p perfect Petri dish or something. And instead, what I mean, this was. I can't think of a, a media circus to compare to it ever. You know, maybe maybe in a short period of time for a few days when something happens or for even even for a month or two with like when Lady Di died. Mm -hmm. But. I mean, OJ was a running narrative 
from the moment of the murder to and I mean, come on, it wasn't just like this guy got arrested and then the courtroom, you know, the there was a miscarriage of justice or thing, you know, the jury was given a, a smoke and mirrors. There was a, there was the chase down the through the slow motion chase, mm-hmm. and OJ do, doing insane. Well, even before the that, there was stuff. Kato well, but, Kalen and everybody else like glomming on from all angles. It was just unbelievable. Well, and another thing was, um, you know, I think during it was either leading up to the trial or in the middle of the trial, there was something, but. Nicole Brown's autopsy photos and or no, they weren't autopsy. They were crime scene photos yeah. of uh, Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman actually somehow fell into the hands of not just, you know, TV and newspaper media, which would have been, don't get me wrong, that's bad enough, but I think they would have had some kind of restraint about it. But I'm talking like fucking tabloids got a hold of that. Yeah. And I remember when that happened and I, and I remember thinking, you know, uh, we can say whatever we want about wanting to, uh, you know, sequester, you know, jurors and all that kind of stuff. There's fucking no way they're not going to find out about that. Now, at the same time, there's also no way they're not going to see those same photos themselves during the trial. And I get right. that. But at the same time, now the American people are seeing the same things that they are. And I'm sorry that whether you think OJ did it or not, I think the minimum we can all agree on is that the guy deserves a fair trial. I personally think he's he, he's guilty as all fuck, and he should have gone down for it. But that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve a fair trial. And I, I'm sorry, you know, I got to think that his, you know, the people on the jury now they're gonna. This is another thing for them to take into account. And you can have all the judges and all the world saying all the time, "Do not think about this when you make your decision." I'm sorry, that's not the way the fucking human mind works. Right. Right. Now, if you know for a fact that the rest of the country now is also is, is seeing the same exact bullshit that you are. And that they may not have the same thoughts and reactions to it that you do. They may be expecting you to find this guy guilty, perhaps in spite of the evidence rather than because of it. Then what do you do? You know, and I'm sorry, that's a consideration that everybody, you know, has to make. And I don't know, it's just just the fucking bigness of this trial and what it said, good and bad, about, you know, society as it was in 1994 and all of these other things. But. Honestly, a lot of weird bullshit came out of this, but you know, I think the the even afterwards there was a whole punishment phase where the entire society punished OJ and kept an eye on him and remember he got arrested for for trafficking ecstasy or with, whatever like, that was with the weird. Russian mob and stuff to get money, you know? So yeah. so cuz because then he lost a civil suit and then yeah, the basically lost thing. everything that he had that he couldn't hide away and had to basically became a pariah forever. <laughs> well, and the other thing, though, the th- and, and this was the part that really blew my mind. I mean, these days I've got a – I don't know as I'd go so far as to say that I'm a misanthrope, uh-huh. but I really don't have a lot of uh, tender, loving affection for my fellow man, you know, just from day to day. And – I would say the real start of that came – I was just driving to school one morning, and one of one of the uh, morning drive time shows that I listened to, the uh, announcer said you know, that he read some study that uh, basically tons of people, uh, like uh, somewhere in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, it was something like that, 
tons of people were, you know, visiting psychiatrists and psychologists and stuff like that. And they're showing like real symptoms now of depression. And upon questioning, what they find is that the real cause of this is that these people were O.J. Simpson trial junkies. And now that it's over, fucking they got nothing to watch. And they don't know what to do with themselves anymore. And what you know, they don't have cable TV. There's always something. No, I mean nothing. I mean it's chasing the dragon after OJ. They're never going to get that initial rush. But well, right. But I meant more. Well, and, and to be fair to them, I mean, let's face it. Cable TV back then was a lot different from cable TV right now, as far as choices and yeah. But it, I guess just what that said about. Uh, about where we are as a country. It's like, you know, wow, the, the trial's over and you're fucking depressed. I mean, does anybody just read a fucking book anymore? You know? Uh, what happened? But I guess over and above all of that, may, uh, maybe more famously and definitely more recently, O.J. Simpson basically confessed to the murders in a book. And if you've ever read that chapter of the book, dude, I don't care what anybody says. That was a confession. <sighs> What do you say? Uh, did you ever read it? I did read it, and um, I felt dirty <laughs> reading it because it was just like it was like it, it, right back to what we were talking about before. There's a part of them that wants people to know, you know. There's, um, I've known a few compulsive people before, people who are like heavy drug addicts and stuff, and one thing I noticed is. If they were talking about something, if you just let them talk, they would fill in every detail of everything in their life to the point of way too much information and stuff that you shouldn't be telling other, that other people shouldn't know about you. But they couldn't help it. It just would. There was a a, a lack of talking going on, so they had to fill it in with something. And there was like a compulsive part of them. That was just like you, you have to tell the truth. And with those people, like if if they did something and were trying to conceal it, all you had to do is just keep you didn't have to do anything. You just had to keep them talking. And eventually they would they would trip themselves up. And I I mean, that was to the point of psychopathic that, you know, writing. I mean, that wasn't something he wrote and had in a diary at his house. It was something he wrote and published for money, you know, Mm-hmm. And uh, and played the whole like, hey, look, you know, I'm just trying to get money. This is just the, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I've read my share of Stephen King. <laughs> right. That was written from from uh, from the killer's point of view. You know, I mean, re I remember OJ also did some a little play acting like he was going to get to the bottom of this, you know, yeah, he's going to he find the real killers. He, he was going to hire private detectives, and he was going to find out who really killed Nicole. And that was just something he said, and then it just dried right up. If he was really obsessed with that, like he said, he would have been obsessed with it, and he would have spent every penny that he had trying to find a killer, and then he would have started fundraising to to try to find her killer and he would have left no stone unturned but it was just something you know it was just something he said i mean when it when it comes right down to it i mean oj was right out of any um dime store you know um pharmacy true crime novel he like you know he was like a lot of the people that that got caught in that who was 
never ne- would never ever you know ever come clean about it no matter if he had video of him doing it he would find some ex- excuse to do it because it was just not part of his narrative that he did it <laughs> right well i i just i remember when first off when that story broke but the thing that blew my mind even at the time but especially when i read there's a a fairly in-depth and detailed forward to that book, I one of the a couple of forwards actually. One of them is written by a member of the Goldman family, and then the other one was written by the uh, book's ghostwriter. And the the ghostwriter one is the one I would really recommend that people read. If you read nothing else from that book, read his forward because he kind of he kind of tells you what's in the book. And let's face it, some of that stuff is kind of stomach turning. Let's be honest. But the other thing is, you get the benefit of. Um, his recollections, you know, based on, you know, I think like three or four days worth of interviews with OJ. Mm-hmm. And, um, but one of, but, you know, he, he makes these uh, comments that, and now, of course, I'm blanking on, on who it is, but it was either Diane Sawyer or Barbara Walters. But there was going to be an interview with OJ, um, you know, as part of this book's, you know, marketing and promotions and all this stuff. And, and it just kind of hit me, you know, it's like, number one, the fact that somebody would fucking publish a book like this. I'm sorry, that is way over the line of good taste, in my opinion. Well, but then I, number two, that the fucking national media was going to get – they were all going to get swept up in, in, in the same thing too. And somebody – We're at that point where the lowest common denominator, if you don't go for it, some somebody will. You know, So everybody strives towards it and the classier – the quote-unquote classier outlets – We'll wait for everybody else to dive on the common, lowest common denominator, and then they'll dive on it, but they'll dive on it in quotes. You know, They'll say, look at this horrible thing that people are saying, and look at this horrible OJ book, and then they'll, they'll, they'll quote the, the horrible passage where he talks about killing his, his ex-wife. But all the while moralizing against All the while, him. yeah, just, just working it into... Yeah, into more, yeah, moral outrage, and everybody. Well, and can, in the end, everybody makes everybody ends up making money off the lowest common denominator. Well, yeah, and I'll, and look, all I can say is that you know I'm really glad that cooler heads prevailed on all of that, you know. But it's just at, end of the day, what I decided was there's no way I'm going to pay money for this book. I don't care where the proceeds go. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's actually going to be the Goldman family as part of their settlement. I don't care. Uh, Just I thought creepy, creepy, creepy too. Right. Well, and and I can actually understand their viewpoint on it. If anybody should profit by it, it oh yeah, them. But it's just because so they're weird, the ones. Though it just would be so weird for that, you know, going well. Here's the money. Uh, uh, it would. Uh. Yeah, I couldn't do it. But whatever. What I decided is, I'm just gonna um, find other ways of obtaining a uh, copy of this book and. Uh, and it it was actually years later, and I was just I was bored one night, so I went ahead and you know went looking for it and found it and did what everyone else in in America did, flipped to the uh, to first the forward because I'd heard all just and and guys the, those forwards they're everything you heard about they you got to read them. The other thing is you know the uh, the chapter before the famous chapter and then the uh, the chapter after and. Honestly, I'd, I would be shocked if people have ever read the entire book. They wanted to see, you know, the chapter before, <laughs> the murder chapter, mm-hmm. and then the chapter after. And it's, it's just really fucking sick. And 
anyway, it's just it's one of those things that, you know, I think most people, they probably read it once, took a shower, and mm-hmm. tried to forget, you know, because this is, this is just too much. But anyway, now I feel like I need a shower, so I guess we better move on. The final story in tonight's – or at least for me, I don't actually have any runners-up, but um, the uh, final story in uh, tonight's little adventure is uh, The Princess and the Ice Queen from page uh, 67. Now, I got to be honest. This was not the story of the century. No. Hell, it wasn't even the story of the year. But something about that whole Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan incident – it just really captured something about the 90s, in my, in, in my opinion. I mean, is it just me, or is this the most idiotic white trash conspiracy that anybody's ever attempted? I mean, look, I don't know, but I'm at a loss to think of a better instance of, like, redneck mafia type of retardation than this. I mean, what do you think? Oh, well, yeah, and I think it was a big deal because everybody thought of – you know, Olympic athletes and competitive athletes in sports like in the like the Olympic sports as being these pinnacles of and you know, this this might be classist or racist or whatever, but upper white, middle class, white, scrubbed youth. Right. And and well every and even if you weren't white, you were well scrubbed, you know, in have and when you're doing your figure skating and stuff you're you're doing like almost like beauty pageant stuff where you're doing the pasted on smile oh and, yeah, yeah. And, and all that stuff so they were you know always held up as paragons of of you know their you know you you wouldn't expect any of them to do drugs. Eh, you might expect them all. Hey, kids will be kids. Have a couple of drinks, and you know, probably would expect them to have sex. They're young, healthy, and and attractive. And that's just hopelessly like that. naive on anybody's part. You know, you put all these gorgeous, athletic uh, people all together in Olympic Village, and you expect yeah, them to it, stay oh, hands off. Yeah, oh, no, on. it's 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 on, and I'm sure, and stuff like that, and. And 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 yeah, and everybody. There's all these people from other countries that you're never gonna see again who are also interested in the same stuff, good looking and young and in prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody expects that, but nobody expects a baseball bat to the knee. <laughs> you know, right. from a guy named Galuli. You know, it's just it was just like wow, and and it sort of had the effect of. Um, Elevate, uh, making Nancy Harding even more angelic, though you know, everybody's Kerrigan for when you know. In fact, she was just the unfortunate victim of of whatever. She she wasn't you know a tragic martyr or or, or whatever. But yeah, Tanya Harding. Dude, tell her that. I mean, like, what was her famous line? Like the minute she got clubbed on the knee. Why me? Why me? <laughs> I always thought she her reaction to that was a little too instantaneous. I don't know about you. That seemed a little rehearsed, don't you think? I, you know, I, I don't think, I just don't think that they would be in on it together. No, I'm not saying that. It's just like, was she planning for, I mean, like she's, did was she so like careerist about it? She's thinking, well, you know, there is a possibility someday somebody may come, come along and just punch me or 
club me in the knee with a baseball bat, and so if they do, I'm going to immediately say for the cameras, why me? Why me? It's hard to say. You should, could have been in shock, and that could have been, you know, I mean, your first thoughts in, in moments of weird trauma, car crashes, or, you know, or, or fights or stuff like that are often weird and irrational, so, you know... I mean, I sort of, I, I do sort of believe that she was a little more of the typical, what you would consider the typical, you know, she wasn't as angelic as they portrayed her. Nobody is in any context like that, really, that for in reality. But, um, right. the, you know, the fascination, though, was Tanya Harding because it's, you know, I love reading John Waters' books because he understands people's fascination with the trailer park with the white trash they have uh, the trashy people who will do crazy shit like that and there's obviously <laughs> some sort of ad in in our country especially and in other countries too there's other people in other countries who in my that, that that sort of you know i don't want to say working is lower you know lower class chutzpah <laughs> you know or, right. and and just and or just appreciate the the utter trashiness of it just like hey you know there's a new approach don't practice more just kneecap her you know and and like like i said there's a lot of people who will just be like you know what i kind of i kind of uh admire her uh entrepreneurial spirit there or her not entrepreneurial, but you know her get up and go there, and and then there were a lot of people who were, and then of course you had the sex tape, and once oh, that, yeah, once geez. you once you end up with like a sexual aspect of it, it, it's all over. You know, America's all over it, no no matter how appealing or or not she is. There's a lot of people who are discriminating about what they find appealing with sex. There's a lot of people though I found. That it basically, if something's naked, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that it adds a whole new level. So you know, and that was, that was another. I mean, this was a, a time period of of sex tapes coming out and and Miss America's doing nude photo sh lesbian photo shoots that coming out and stuff like that. So this sort of went along with it. This is the most like scrubbed nice story in probably the whole <laughs> book though you know relative to all the rest of them it's nobody was killed and you know nobody was fleecing anybody's grandma nancy kerrigan's knees okay you know um i wonder who made ended up making more money out of the whole deal nancy kerrigan or or um what's her name tanya harding, tanya harding. You know, Tanya Harding was a, a celebrity after. I think she actually, did she end up in a John Waters movie? She might have. Well, I, all I can remember for sure is that it was, uh, I want to say she ended up in Hustler magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, she was, this, I hate to say it, but just keep in mind how old I was. This was the first time I kind of came to realize, you know what, there are certain people that I don't need to see naked. And Tanya Harding just made the list. I mean, dude, I, I, it really is a toss. I'm always going to look, no matter what celebrity deal it is. I'm always going to check it out. out of well, I, my attitude about it is, you know, I, I think of it as being kind of 
I call it the Terry Hatcher effect, right? They're real, but they're spectacular, you know? Uh, right. Well, having seen the, you know, uh, the real thing, uh, yeah, they're real, but they are not spectacular, you know? Well, that's, a, and it was I, just I such think a that's also the appeal of it in a lot of ways to a lot of people is she's not a beauty queen. She's just, she's the trashy girl, not next door, but across the tracks who will like sleep with you, but she might ask you to kneecap her competition in the. But hey, you know it's worth it because she's awesome in bed. She may not look like the, but you know, she doesn't look like much, but she's got it where it counts. The kid. American, the American sexual psychology state of sexual psychology is not healthy. <laughs> so, you know, almost anything that's sexual just gets, you know, gets people's prurient interest. I mean, people were rushing to look at pictures of of full frontal nudity Snooky. Snooky. I looked at it. Are I you serious? Snooky Snooky. Yeah, I did. I uh, I've I seen did an her image butt. search That's and looked it. at it. Now you're going to too. You may no, not admit it. I, no, I I am not. I can hear you clicking. Dude, I've seen Scott her Scott Gardner that... is right now. He's listening. He's going, "Really? They've Snookies?" And I I have to <laughs> I have to admit, I wasn't like like hoo ho, but it was just like there's a sort of now I don't want to say normal person, but not you know not a beauty queen sort of thing, but mm. but there you go. I mean, people are going there by the by the the billions. Now I don't think it's fair that like if I went and and put a picture up, nobody would go, nobody would even care. No comment. I do <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing for that one. So. And the people who would care, I'm really kind of frightened by those people. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've thought about it. You know, with my dozens and dozens of fans across the world, I don't know. I think I'd probably have a fair You want to do them a solid someday? Well, I don't know how solid, but, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we, you got anything else here for uh no. Yeah, I can see how all the, uh, the that's the thing with almost any story we picked on here. It's just if you keep going with it, it's it's going downhill. Yeah, and it's going to go in a pretty fucking dark direction pretty yeah, quick. But exactly. All in all, I mean, I just I, I kind of stand by what you and I said earlier. I don't think this is the strongest of the big books. No. And I think the reason for that is, number one, so much of it is political. I mean, you know, I know that you and I have gotten slightly political in this mm-hmm. in this episode but guys for those of you who have not read this uh this whole thing uh before you have to understand there is an entire section uh for politics that i think you know chris and i were wise to mostly stay away from i'll admit this i didn't even read the iran contra section of it because i'm so familiar with the story top to bottom since it's happened that i don't need another as a matter of fact, there's a great. There was the whole story of it was put it. Alan Moore made a comic about it, so you know I was just like, I'll just skip this one because I'm not going to glean anything new about it. I know what happened, you know, or what you know the story is anyway. The scandal is right because it was like, I uh, yeah, it's like it's it's. 
it's a story and it's a political discussion and stuff, but it's the thing about these books is they're you know they're the big book of blah blah blah. It's this one is just not as fun as the other ones, and I have a feeling this one is just a little bit more fun than the one that we're skipping of all the saints. <laughs> Oh, the martyrs, yeah. The martyrs, yeah. I'll, I'll bet you that one. Now, we could be completely wrong, and I think maybe when we're all done, we should, you and I should, like, check out the Book of the Martyrs in case it happens to turn out to be the most insane one of all of these, you know? Right. But somehow I doubt it. Somehow I think it's going to be sort of like this one and even drier. I tend to agree. And actually, is a is a... A uh, pretty good time to uh, to uh, ask you, like, which of these would you like to cover next? I mean, thus far, we've talked about um, let's think uh, the Big Book of Urban Legends, conspiracies, hoaxes in the seventies. So, and losers. That, oh, and losers. Wait, did I say? Did I skip losers? I skipped losers. You're and right. I, I can't in, believe we're that. churning these out, man. Yeah, all but, of those. Yeah, and multiply that those by seven. That's pumping out the shows yeah yeah we are but what that leaves on the table is uh, the big books of weirdos death freaks little criminals thugs the unexplained martyrs which i think we've kind of touched upon uh bad the weird wild west vice and grim g-r-i-m-m as in the brothers Huh. So, uh, which of these would you you think we should cover next? I mean, I, I I'm actually thinking that you know it may be worth it to finally do that um, big book of the unexplained episode and drag Scott Gardner along for it. I don't know if he'd be up for that, but uh, you know, could at least ask him. He probably would be. Yeah, I I'll go for the unexplained. You, you know, that one's going to be a lot more uh, uh, exhilarating than this one. Well, and you see, yeah, yes and no. I mean, there are so many, there are so many things in the in a big book of the unexplained that it's actually going to be a little bit of a struggle for me to come up with anything to contribute because a lot of this stuff is so far beyond. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's just a it's just a little bit outside of my wheel uh, wheelhouse, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's actually another argument for bring bringing uh, Scott Gardner into it is, is because I know that uh, one of these is, uh, I think one of those stories in there for sure is um, ancient aliens yeah. or ancient, sorry, ancient astronauts. Yeah. And um, you'd be happy to talk about that. Maybe we can get, um, oh, it'd be great if we could get Pat Broderick on too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, either way, we'll figure it out. Yeah. So, uh, But in the meantime, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? I and you and a whole host and bevy of other podcasters are at twotruefreaks.com. And you can find us on iTunes. And you can find us through internet searches and... Oh, God, so many podcasts. Probably about 25 active podcasts right now around the core of the main four monthly Mondays that, that Scott and I do. And uh, 
yeah, it's just we're, we're, there's a ton of material coming out in, in all different directions. So if you can't find anything that you like, you're probably not looking too hard. Right. All right. Well, as usual, I, I want to uh, uh, thank you for uh, joining in with me. It's always it's always a lot of fun to uh, talk to you, even if the well, at least in this case, the material was kind of a slog to get through. Well, this uh, whole it, it's book always... was a, a you know wealth of opportunities for conversation. It just wasn't. A, I, I was more fun talking about it than it was reading it, frankly. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's actually you know that's where I think you know the payoff is because you know it it, it is a conversation stimulator, but at the same time, it's just. I don't know, maybe it's just because so much of it was <clears throat> uh, contemporary with our times that it's hard to make it through some of this stuff, like you were saying about Iran-Contra. But Well, the tricky thing was to find the ones that were conversation stimulators and not conversation, like, time bombs, <laughs> which there's a lot of time bombs in there. <laughs> yeah, there are, and that was actually uh, another another kind of tricky thing. All right, so, well, uh, well like I said, thanks for uh, coming back, and to the rest of you, uh, next week I'm going to be continuing my uh, retrospective of Smallville Season 1. This is the third part of that. After which I'm going to be going into my Superman mega series, but um, that's all still to come. So thanks again, Chris, and bye, everybody. See you next week. We are out. Play it. Come on. Play it loud. Play it loud. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. Intense freak! Two! Belong in a circus. Right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go and now, <laughs> together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. So you're looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, hey, let's God, go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! TrueFreaks.com What's wrong, Star Wars fans? 
Disney. Disney killed the expanded universe. They killed the whole thing. It's dead. Every single book. Not just the novels, but the comics. And the video games, too. It's like they're just stories, and Disney threw them out like stories. I hate them! Okay, Star Wars fans, relax. Here, have a Snickers. No one destroyed your Star Wars Expanded Universe. In fact, I'm going to give you a whole new opportunity to go back and explore all those books and comics that have helped to shape and mold this universe we love so much. Join me on the Star Wars Saga Cast, where I'll be walking through the various branches of the Star Wars Expanded Universe, much of it for my very first time. I'll be bringing you short episodes that review comics, longer episodes that explore the novels, and in-film commentaries, because you know you're just dying to hear what some random guy on the internet has to say about movies that you've seen a hundred times before. You know you are. So come along for the Star Wars Saga Cast at thestarwarssagacast.com. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality, is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for 
Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy.